if you don't feel comfortable of being in front of a camera or in a podcast or on stage, you just have to start start mm. and adopt into the new normal. Yeah. There comes a time when even the big companies realize that instead of sending in number seven, the sales person number seven, it's better to shoot a video of the number one, the rainmaker, or mm. number two or three. And I'm sorry, but if you're not up there and you take the challenge and step out of your comfort zone, you will be out of a job. Welcome to the Mega Deals podcast. Today we're going to talk about key learnings from 2021 and also some objections. In the studio, we have Bora Brandstrom, Christopher Engman, and me, David Clatborg. I'm super excited. How about you guys? I'm, I'm very excited. It's been an amazing year. We've learned a lot. Great things to share. Bora. Wunderbar. <laughs> Uh, can you say can you say that in many languages? No, <laughs> actually, you can. But you don't dare. Can you say it it in many accents? To. Yes, I can. Mm. But that's a different podcast. <laughs> okay, that's the mega laughter <laughs> podcast. Uh, so, I, Christopher, I, I let you start. What are your key learnings from 2021? So, before going into the details, let, let's group them. So, first of all, we have quite a few learnings from the positioning and messaging architecture. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have an equal amount of learnings related to organizational design and how to run land and expand meetings between marketing and sales. We also have learnings related to how you take the positioning and messaging, converting it into content throughout the buying cycle, throughout the decision journey as well. How to then take that into versioning, versioning for all the platforms we're using and then how to use the various marketing platforms and channels to infiltrate an account and orchestrate a deal in parallel with sales. Uh, we also have some learnings on how to drive behavioral change within our client organizations. And how many of those should we address today, do you think? I think we could actually run through all of them. Okay. Bor, do you want to add anything? No, the ones Christopher went through, um, I think are very key to learnings that we've picked up specifically in 2021. Um, I think there are some really interesting learnings that we've picked up earlier than that, but that we see see more and more trends of um, in 2021. Things like, I mean, we've worked very much with, uh, even more with sustainability companies and a lot that we're seeing going on in that space that I think is interesting. Um, and of course, the whole hire more salespeople versus scaling um, is not a new insight, but it's something that we're observing more and more nuances around. Um, and then, of course, two really big ones. One is this trend and shift that we're actually seeing more and more moving from this analog way of working to more hybrids and media. And then the final one that we've been talking about quite a lot, which is, um, you know, the marketing organization 
moving towards being more deal centric versus only leads centric. So helping um, the rainmakers close deals versus just handing them leads. But the, the, you know, to Christopher's point, what, what he talked about was more kind of the new exciting insights in, in 2021. These are things that we've talked about before, but we're seeing in different nuances um, within in the companies that we talk to and work with. Right. So Christopher, do you, you want to start to break down the different parts, the learnings of the messaging architecture and especially around the fundamental messaging that is? Within the fundamental messaging, which is taking the customer from unaware to wanting to buy, not buying, wanting to buy, we've seen quite a few uh, new realizations. So one is, for example, I mean, a big global trend right now is that companies become more and more verticalized. Mm -hmm. So you big bigger portfolios, but around one vertical or a few verticals rather than horizontal narrow solutions that are working with many industries. That's a big trend. And within that space, in connected to the positioning and messaging architecture, one new insight is, is something we call root causes. Because there is normally a few things within an industry that makes it unique. For example, we worked with Move Medical in San Diego, and then they work with medical device companies. And a root cause for actually looking at an industry-specific software there is that they have a demand which is 100% precision in your delivery. So you cannot fail one single delivery because then people will die. And you find that in no other industry vertical. So so that's for an example of a root cause. And that has a lot of, it trickles down to a lot of consequences that you need to address, which actually forces the industry, the medical device industry, to use a specific solution for them. Mm. I've seen the same thing happening in the taxi world, uh, in retail world, etc. So, yeah, it, it's... Yeah. Uh, it's happening industry by industry. And so root causes is something you can build your messaging around, which we didn't talk about before. That's right. one. We've also... Uh, can I interrupt you there? So, yeah, sure. for example, it, I mean, it, it would be interesting to know uh, for the listeners, maybe how you practical could look into a symptom or a consequence and then how you trickle that down and get down to the root cause of the problem. Are there any questions you should ask or things like that? Because for us, when we worked with Move Medical, it took a long time to realize what the root cause actually were and also the difference. We, we will come into that later, but the, the checkmate scenarios and everything. Yeah. Well, in the, in, the, in, in the workshops with them, we're kind of preparing for running the marketing. Uh, we designed the, the positioning and messaging architecture and they talked a lot about symptoms, but then by asking, and this is actually not so tricky, when you understand complicated symptoms of an industry, if you ask the question, so why is that symptom? What, where does it come from? And, and I mean, even though it took quite a while to nail it, but asking those questions again and again and again took us actually back to, well, this industry has a quite unique thing. And most industries do have a unique thing or many unique things and in this case it was the need for 100% delivery another root cause which makes that industry unique is that the salespeople are not just salespeople they're actually inventory mm. managers as well because the salespeople are normally also delivering 
the, the, the medical devices. So in the field, they need to both be selling and fiddling around with the actual equipment. So uh, that was also a second root cause, uh, which is then we can, around which you can build the logic why a medical device company should not go with SAP or Salesforce because they're too generic. You need a solution that is purposely built for that industry. Yeah. Yeah, and, and sometimes I think it's a positive thing to come as an outsider as a third yeah. party. Yeah, it's sometimes easier. Yeah, because you're so into what you're doing and you you need to zoom out, but that's hard sometimes. So sometimes you need a third party or somewhere from the outside that comes and asks all these stupid questions like why, 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 mm. why. But also carrying insights from other industries because then you can right. see, well, this is actually unique. Yeah, good point. Uh, we have seen no other industry where you both have the 100% precision need in the delivery and mm. where salespeople are both salespeople and inventory managers. Mm. Those two in combinations, I, I haven't seen that anywhere. Mm. And there's a lot of tricks around that, mm. which you can't solve in Salesforce nor in SAP. So before moving on board, do you want to add anything to, to what we just said? <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, <laughs> no. I think Christopher explained it eloquently. Thanks. Moving on then, Christopher. <laughs> so we just cut away uh, a five-minute laughter in this room. Yes. Uh, so, okay, move on, Christopher. Yeah, well, Christopher was bantering me in, in as, as usual. Uh, another thing that... so. Just explain something that we have had for, I mean, since the beginning, which is, I think I haven't seen in any other methodology, which is how you flesh out the alternative categories and subcategories. Connected to that research, we've added a few particularities. First of all, something we call title fights, because normally in the choice between categories and the choice between the related subcategories, or sometimes even sub-subcategories, you see that there are certain fights that are coming again and again, and they might not be on your direct competitor level. They can be on the category or a mix of a category and subcategory level. So for example, again, this is actually from a messaging point of view, a good example. So Move Medical that we just mentioned, their main competition is not other field management solutions because they wipe the floor with their competitors. But they're losing traction, and sometimes deals, to other animals. And in this case, ERPs and CRMs. That's why I recently mentioned SAP and Salesforce. Even though, if you understand the root causes and the related symptoms and the way of working around those, you actually understand you can't use Salesforce and SAP. So the title fights are acknowledging what animals are you competing with throughout the whole decision tree and, and messaging architecture. But not directly with your own type of solution. No, so I mean, it, ca can it can be. It can be. It can be, but, in, but, but, in but this, often it's not. Yeah, in yeah. this case, for example, one client we were working with couldn't quite understand because they kept telling us they were losing business but not to di direct and quote competitors. And when we looked a bit closer, we realized that they were losing a large part of their volume or the business to st the status quo, 
not actually changing. So, but all of their, all of their rhetoric, verbally, all of their content was all around the benefits uh, and features of their products, not around how do we influence this type of a player to actually make a change uh, versus status quo. We can use ourselves as an example. Like we, we uh, I have never experienced that we lose any business to any kind of direct competitor ever actually, well, maybe without knowing it. But when we, when someone is eating our lunch is normally when the customer doesn't want to transition from growing through a larger and larger sales force. So that's for us on the category level. So grow more salespeople or make a more marketing heavy negatives and enterprise model, uh, which is what our research is saying. But nevertheless, we lose a lot of deals to companies saying, well, we don't believe in that marketing, marketing scaling. We continue to hire more salespeople. So that's an example of a title fight for us. And on the subcategory level, we typically, uh, if we lose business there, it's to a customer saying, we can do this in-house. So even though they don't have anyone knowing the mega deals details, they might have a few individuals that know some and they don't have the bandwidth. They still, we still lose sometimes to, to that this kind of title fight where they say, well, we, we think anyway we can do this internally, even though uh, if we get the chance to explain everything, they opt for us, but that's not always the case. So those are two examples of title fights for us. Yeah. So, so Bora, for example, on the category level, again, our biggest title fight is versus, uh, is a, a marketing heavy way of scaling enterprise and mar mega deals or continue to add more FTEs on the sales side. I know this is this is actually one of your favorite topics. Mm -hmm. Would you, as an example to this insight, would you elaborate on our learning here? Absolutely. And back to the point you were making, if we were looking at just direct competition, we may be looking at other types of players that are offering different types of services around sales and marketing. But to your point, we were, we're actually losing or were losing part of our lunch to Exactly. Still, still do. Still do. Yeah. To should I, should I as a scale up, for example, hire more salespeople and scale that way, both in the current country I'm in and other countries, um, or should I actually scale my current um, rainmakers? That for us is a big title fight. So, for example, I've been in that scenario. So have you, David, where we've tried to scale our sales organizations by hiring more salespeople. And we all know the challenge of that because it takes at least a year before you've hired them, onboarded them, they're fully operational, right? And then many of the salespeople that you and I hired, David, when doing enterprise and mega deals, ended up failing anyway because of the complexity of orchestrating these large deals. So you kind of, after a year, end up in back into square one. Versus the uh, what we represent which is taking people like you david really good rainmaker and actually building a marketing machinery around someone like you to give you longer arms and legs and secondly take away repetitive tasks so that you can focus much more on actually orchestrating these deals which means by doing this we we give you more time instead of instead of managing one or two or three deals you can actually manage multiple deals parallel 
it's one thing for a scale up as a CEO, for example, to make that decision and and make that change. But what about a big corporation where you get decision from your leader in UK or in the US, for example, and he comes to you and say, Bora, as head of Nordics, I would like to see five new sales people. They're not aware of scaling and rainmakers. What do you say to them? Well, I, I think the story is is still the same. Correct me if I'm wrong. The story there's, there's no change in the story. We are driving awareness around this big title fight, and I was one of those, David. By the way, so were you. Where I was totally unaware that there was another option to scaling. I thought the way we had to scale, and to be fair, there wasn't. Right, because what we're representing at the moment is we're pioneering the whole concept and discipline around how you scale rainmakers and how you scale your orchestration. Back in the days, we didn't have that, David. Mm. So to be fair, the only thing we knew was if we were going to grow, we had to hire more salespeople. And you were the, calculating the onboarding time and you put them exactly, in your Excel, etc. Ex- yeah. Because there was another option, and re- and and at the time, we never even thought of relying on marketing to help us close deals. It wasn't even part of the play. And today, we're, I think we're in a situation with that there's an unawareness around this, which is why it's a big title fight for us. But I, mm. I'd like to hear your, your view on this. But what I'm seeing in 2021, that that awareness is becoming greater and greater. So for example, many of the sustainability companies that we are talking to, that normally a lot of the time has a disruptive innovation that the con- the market knows nothing about. And secondly, they're selling into quite complex ecosystem like landowners and governments and so on. And some of these entrepreneurs that are, are kicking off, they've already maybe been through a number of entrepreneurial journeys where they know that scaling through hiring salespeople and selling these type of complex products and orchestrating these deals is really complex and difficult. And I'm at least noticing that there's a greater awareness around these type of entrepreneurs and leaders today that finding a better alternative like the one we represent is becoming more and more well-known. I don't know what you... No, totally, totally. Like, Mm. um, yeah. I think one of the things we face is that uh, most CEOs are, I mean, often ex-head of sales. And most head of sales are very unaware about real marketing. They've seen like webinars, email shots, mm. some ads, etc. They have not seen a full orchestration discipline in action. So the, I don't. I just think it's uh, like you say. It, it's a matter of education and, and, and time. Mm. Uh, but as soon as we get someone like that to sit down in a chair for an hour, mm. they, they actually start to get it very very fast because mm. they're smart people. I mean, much like the two of you, you understood it very fast, even though you didn't know it earlier. Mm -hmm. So what about the people who say that we already do, I haven't heard anyone say we already do orchestration of deals, but I heard we already do ABM or we already do social selling, because that's an objection that we can get sometimes. So why this question is because uh, objections is also interesting to look into just as looking into the different symptoms, going down to the root cause, uh, but also look at objections to 
find out about the title fights. So that's another way mm. to come down to to the 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 real problem. Mm. I think many organizations are trying to find the silver bullet. They're like, oh, we can only do one thing, so let's do uh, social selling, or let's do ABM, or or and or and but the the problem is that sound transformations aren't simple, mm-hmm. and you need to kind of reconfigure the whole machinery to 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 make it effective. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, you'll have like small shots of activities on LinkedIn, and then you go, oh, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. But the, <laughs> but it's because you've taken. It's like okay, if you want to be a Real Madrid in football, you you need to rethink. Mm. Um, and it's not just some small activities here and there. It's it's a it's a bigger shift than that. Mm. Yeah, and as we're on the subject from selling to orchestration, we've learned some new insights in 2021 on how we actually define a mega deal because a lot of our listeners and clients uh, and prospects, etc., they when they think of mega deal, they're thinking, oh, it's got to be something worth over 100 million. But that's not the definition of a mega deal anymore. Chris, do you want to just highlight what are we now calling a mega deal and how are we defining it? I, I think that it has two answers. You might want to keep a certain amount and say that that is a mega deal. Like in the research, it was $10 million and up. But there is another, maybe more interesting aspect, which is when do you move from selling into orchestrating? And that happens when you fulfill four criteria, and you you listeners can think about your own business here. The first one is when you need to anchor your decision cross-functionally, so throughout many functional areas on the customer side, cross-hierarchy, so maybe VP, directors, VP, C-level, sometimes even board level, and and, and so cross-hierarchy is the number two. Number three is when you're selling something where you on the customer side need to interface with a mix of many processes and adjacent systems. So you need to interface in a quite complex world of technologies and processes. And the fourth one being when your own offering, product, portfolio, service, whatever, is relatively complex. So you can't bring in a salesperson from the street and two months later they can sell your, your offering. When you have those four, you typically both have a rainmaker dependency and you are in the orchestration space because you're typically selling as a team. You need to you need to really blend marketing and sales because there are so many stakeholders you can't meet them physically or even online meetings, etc. So then you are in our space. Uh, whatever the amount is connected to your point, Bora. So whether it's a, a an amount connected mega deal or not, you're in the mega deal's domain, which is an orchestration space rather than a marketing and sales space. I mean, it's based on marketing and sales, but it, you need to orchestrate rather than sell. So, yes, it's still important. The dialogue techniques are still important. What you say in a meeting, etc., is still key. But the orchestration layer around that is even more important. In the sales space, when you need to get a yes from a handful of people, you can stay in the sim- more simple selling space but if you have those four you're in the orchestration space yes um well defined so, so why do we think even though we are working with some really big brands most of 
the clients we work with and that reach out to us is scale-ups. Why? I think, first of all, the large companies, they don't want to change. So they don't change before they have to. Uh, unless there are some giants who are starting that change and there's a few of the other ones following, then we will see the tail and uh, we will see, uh, like, in the future, everyone would will definitely work in this way. But there is a shift going on, and uh, the first to move is not the biggest one because the pain isn't, uh, for many of the big ones, big enough already because they have... Doesn't it also have to do with the quarterly economy? Like, if you're a big giant... Yeah, that's also one if, thing. If you're, even if you're... I mean, yeah, maybe the sea level might have an incentive that is connected to maybe maximum three years, absolutely maximum. But most people underneath, they have an incentive that is normally a year or shorter. Uh, and if you're on a short-term incentive that is maximum a year, I mean, this is a big debate. It's connected to the quarterly economy and its faults. But if you have a year-long time frame certain changes you're incentivized unfortunately to make changes when it's typically very late because until you really have to but even worse most people that realize it on the higher level they still stick even though they know we're hitting a mountain soon they're staying and then they shift shift jobs they go okay now now we're coming close to the mountain i just shift position into another company i've seen that with my own eyes many many times yeah, absolutely, but the, I mean that's the, kind of the, a big debate. Though. The, the scale-ups, they don't have the the luxury of having a bad year. No, exactly. So maybe that's but connected say, to the to the giants. Saying, yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, exactly. So there are so many more reasons for for a scale-up to to make it work here and now. Mm. So uh, and of course there there is a lot of change in this way of, of working. And that's, in a way, it's easier for, for a scale-up to, you know, it's a decision away from the from the CEO uh, and then just, you know, get the directions to the people. And, you know, even if you set the plan, we know that the plan is never going to um, stick. But the planning part is, is absolutely key. And we see that when we're doing our land and expand that it's about doing this on a continuous basis. The small things that you have to do every day that in the end lead to the great results. Uh, so I think a great learning is also around those training sessions and the land and expand that we go through, where we go through each and every account on a super, super detailed basis. Bi-weekly normally. Bi-weekly and then um, action plans for that specific salesperson. Can I, a quick comment there. I think I think many people that fail, the fail with the transition into becoming marketing and sales blended rather than sales and marketing separated, is that they, they continue having weekly or bi-weekly sales meetings. And then head of sales is doing some very superficial coordination with the, the marketing team to really, to your point, David, to really get the shift going, you need to have, instead of having the, the weekly or bi-weekly sales meeting, you have what we call land and expand meetings where marketing and sales are sitting in the same room mm. talking about the same accounts, 
because all of a sudden, not only do you get the alignment because you have to, you actually also trigger the creativity on the marketing side because quite often they're not aware of what's going on inside these accounts. Mm. They're just not being briefed on it. Yeah, they, they need the war stories from Yeah, from they need the to understand, oh, we're here with this client. These are the five stakeholder groups. Uh, mm. We haven't engaged anyone on the board level and they we know by, by experience that they need to say yes eventually to this. Okay, how can we engage the board? Uh, and, and then after a while you start to develop standards like okay now we have this situation again for the 71st <laughs> but then and then you have a recipe uh, and you become more and more well oiled between marketing and sales and also from a messaging perspective there's it's almost imperative because in in these sessions sales and marketing is also aligning on the messaging and what you talked about earlier the title fights so mm. that um marketing can really support sales with the right type of um, content and distribution they have to understand what is the message at what stage of the sales cycle and, and for which subgroup exactly and what are the title fights depending on which stakeholder you're actually addressing mm. yeah when we start to lay this out now in our for now excel file it becomes huge all of a sudden when you think about all the different stakeholders at the different part of that decision journey, how much content you actually need to produce out of that. And also- To be able to scale. Yeah, exactly, in order to scale. And and I had no idea that it's such a massive palais of, of content that you actually need to produce. Um, I'm a bit shocked still uh, when I did that realization during last year i mean for you it's obvious christopher because you have been doing this for years but every every day pretty much we we see like here here's a here's a bottleneck that we we need to need to fill this gap with with this kind of content and the motivation came a quite long way i mean we do this 24 7 but we still have a long way to go we have a very Mm. it's a long way to tip a rari yeah. Mm. But if you don't, but I, I mean, think the we, motivation if you don't is start now, mm. you will be way off. Yeah, but the motivation is that most really smart people they hate to repeat stuff. So, so if you if you're listening to this and you're sitting in meetings or you feel I'm actually repeating this fairly often, mm. a typical example is what do you say in a first customer meeting? Most clients that we work with, they. Yes, they ask a few questions to the clients, but they're also presenting something, and that presenting something is 80% repetitive. So then use an explainer video, as we call them, which is 15, 20 minutes. It's saying what you're normally saying in the first meeting. So when you come to the first meeting, you're actually coming to the second meeting because you've, you've kind of covered mm. the normal introduction, and you also can use it to skip clients. You yeah. go, they watch your shorter formats, they're more engaged, they want to book a meeting with you, then you go, okay, before we actually book it in the calendar, please watch this. In our case, it's 22 minutes, ideally 15. Mm-hmm. Watch this 15-minute video. If this makes sense for you and we have these stakeholders on your side wanting to meet, then we book a meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, you we, can use that to, to kind of skip a lot of cases but also save a lot of time. It would be impossible for us to 5x last year versus the year before if we haven't... Yeah, without the content. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, um, as we're on the on on the subject of 
uh, of using different types of content to replace meetings and, and in that way scale yourself, give yourself longer arms and legs. Uh, Chris, I'm, I'm asking you this because this is really your domain. Talk us through a little bit some of the really exciting learnings that we've picked up when we, when we think around moving before we get to content. How do we get from messaging to content and then the different types of channels and formats uh, that we use as part of the scaling? Yeah, I, th I think, uh, first of all, you need to understand how a matrix organization is making decisions. I think that's an insight that the whole leadership, marketing and sales team need to have. Um, because that, that is an insight that is not very frequent, I, I must say. Some stars, they know about it, but it's very infrequent. And then based on that, you need to create your positioning and messaging architecture, which is covering the entire hierarchy and various functional areas and the, the buying cycle. But then you need to, which is maybe even trickier, then you need to transform that into a variety of short and long scripts that are the fundament for short and long videos that are mapping how your customer is making decisions and part decisions. But one thing that has been really important this year is also to understand how to convert that into, rather how to version that, how to version the content so you can scale it through, of course, your organic channels like LinkedIn and your YouTube channel, etc. but even more so in the the purchase channels, channels like like display ads, LinkedIn ads, Instagram, Facebook, even TikTok, and how to blend videos and normal ads, etc. How to do that versioning is a big learning. We've created this huge matrix that we use with our with our clients because that that makes it possible to industrialize it and also take into consideration even before you start doing a video how will this go out? So you're not realizing it when you've already produced a video because then it's too late. I mean, there are certain things you need to understand about width and height and, and length and all that kind of stuff. And when you say versioning, just explain what we mean by that. Well, uh, one version, let's say we do a, a pitch video, which is about three minutes. It's covering change drivers, category choices, subcategory choices, and then why you as a vendor, I mean, short version of that. How can you version that video so it works both in a LinkedIn post uh, as a link in a, an email uh, connected to your site or your, your YouTube channel or and how to version it so it fits uh, channels like Instagram, Facebook, TikTok and, and ads. And, and that, that that's uh, not just a cutting exercise. You, you need to know where to stand in the picture and things like that. And th that needs to be set before recording. So not only do you need to be good at, which is something I think we've really been excelling last year, how to convert the messaging into video formats, but then how to version them so they fit the, the more comprehensive media mix. And, and one of the big, connected to that, one of the big things, because I, I'm kind of born out of the account-based marketing space 2007, so one of the things that I see now is that some companies are going, well, we already do account-based marketing. Okay, so what do you do? Yeah, we use LinkedIn. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the problem is that many stakeholders, if you look at, let, let's say you're selling into Maersk or, or Pfizer or something, actually the majority of the stakeholders are, yeah, they are maybe occasional LinkedIn, 
but your chance of being visible to them on, on LinkedIn alone is too weak. It's too infrequent and too 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 hard. So you need to use a broader media mix. Sometimes you, the, the, the CEO, him or her, you can reach them with geofencing around where they live uh, on, on Facebook and Instagram. You, you need to have a pretty comprehensive media mix to be able to have a high effect. And that's where you really can scale the Rainmakers with marketing. And then the, the last jump is, okay, knowing all of this is then how do I play this in the one-on-ones with the key salespeople. So when you, Bor, are going through, these are the top five deals I'm working on one by one, I also need to know from the marketing side, how do I play the various content, the various version content and the channels into your situation to maximize it? For example, it's very common that you find that out of five stakeholder groups, yeah, you're active with two of five. So three of them are untouched. So here, you might not even have access to them. You, whatever you do, you can't reach those three. For example, it's very common that that many of our clients sometimes need to influence the board level or the definitely the top management. Um, just a co- side comment on that. Sign-off levels in large companies are way smaller than most salespeople think. So to, to sign a deal that is just a few hundred thousand dollars, you typically, in a larger organization, you need to go to the C-level. You need to go to top management. And... And when you do, actually they don't sign off until they understand the deal. So you need to find a way to to infiltrate and, and explain the deal in a very short way for a top management team or a top management person. Otherwise you don't get the sign off. So people think, oh, this is David's budget. It's, uh, it's $500,000, it's his budget. That's fine, but his sign off level is $100,000. So yes, it's his budget, but he can't sign it off. So he needs to sell it internally. So if you leave him alone and he's not trained at selling your pretty complex deal, then an untrained person needs to sell your stuff internally. That's a good luck game or a good luck check game. <laughs> yeah, and, and what you've just explained, this kind of degree um, of digitalization has accelerated significantly over the last two years, uh, propelled by the pandemic, of course. Mm. I mean, we observed, um, even some clients we're working with actually, you know, and we did that, David, back in the days, you know, we would live in the client's headquarters and Mm. we wouldn't actually leave, you know, bring your sleeping bag and everything. Mm. (laughs) And you wouldn't leave until the deal is signed. Mm. And we've just started to work with a Fortune 10 company right now and one of their mega dealer, he he has basically traveled around the world within this huge account. Mm having meetings all over the world with a variety of stakeholders physically. A- and all of a sudden, he he needs to move into, quickly need to move into orchestration and he need to quickly move into being very digital. Mm. Exactly. Yeah, it's back, a, back to my like point a earlier. brutal truth. So when you have a person trying to sell into the Nordics, so even if you got the, the Nordic uh, office to understand, yeah, this is the way... Uh, and then a direction comes from the US or UK office. What you maybe done in the past was going, you know, you, you, you took the plane, you, f- you flew to US or UK and you met the stakeholders there if you got a meeting or you have some troops in that country. But, you know, 
today you need to work with digital tools and you have to work on those in parallel with the Nordic office. So when the Nordic office reach out to the US or the UK office, they already know about you. Mm-hmm. They have you on their agenda. They they already know about the your discipline or your way of doing it. Or the case you're running in the Nordics. Yeah, exactly. And, so, um, and that's what you can do when you orchestrate, when you have the capability of the content and you pushed out through the different tactics. Mm. And on that topic, I mean, the, the hardest thing for me has been to go from the old way into become more more media. I mean, in the beginning, it was extremely hard just to listen to yourself on a podcast or stand in front of a camera. And it was really about taking that step and break through that barrier of fear. But I would like to say to everyone listening to this that it's worth it. And if you don't do it, to Bora's point earlier, if you saw that little video clip, you will not have a job in three, maybe five years from now. I mean, in in when I was an active mega dealer, we had a lot of lone wolves out there. So that's that's one shift. You can't be a lone wolf anymore if you're gonna orchestrate deals because you are reliant on on the it's marketing side. It's a team play mm. for sure. Because it gets more and more complex. It's gone from um, but that's also why we see the best mega dealers often become CEOs because they're not just good at selling. Yeah, they understand the bigger picture and they're good at leading. Yeah, mm. and and we've gone from linear to exponential growth and change today. So this has impacted the way we sell, and I would say the selling is going into orchestration, and we see that increasing week by week and um, if you don't feel comfortable of being in front of a camera or in a podcast or on stage you just have to start start Mm. and adopt into the new normal yeah there comes a time when even the big companies realize that instead of sending in number seven the sales person number seven it's better to shoot a video of the number one, the rainmaker, or mm. number two or three. And I'm sorry, but if you're not up there and you take the challenge and step out of your comfort zone, you will be out of a job. Yeah, a 30-minute video of the star and then five minutes with the star mm. is better than an hour with number seven, for sure. Exactly, mm. yeah. 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 And, and there's to, to your point there, there's two really big behavioral shifts that we're seeing um, accelerate. One of them is the point you made. So salespeople um, making the shift from the analog type of selling into more um, hybrid digitals and yeah. media. Yeah. The other one, which is um, aligned to that, it has to happen parallel, is where marketing, that is marketing into enterprise and mega deals mm. and working together with these salespeople to orchestrate these deals need to start to move from being leads-centric Yeah to deal centric. Mm. Um, and this is where what Christopher was explaining before, these type of land and expand sessions are incredibly important where sales and marketing are working very close together. So it's mm. salespeople moving from 
analog to hybrid and media and marketing moving from lead to deal centric marketing. Great. I think that was a great ending by by Bora. Do you want to comment or say anything more, Christopher? No, his ending was impeccable. It was impeccable. <laughs> it was actually impeccable. 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 <laughs> so thank you for listening in. And if you have any questions, as always, feel free to reach out to us on Bora at megadeals.com or Christopher with a C and an H in the start and PH at the end and uh, not at the end but almost at the end and um, at megadeals.com yeah. and then david at megadeals.com with a d in the beginning <laughs> and, a and a d at the, the end, end. Yeah. and it's a v in the middle yeah. Yeah. Complicated. complicated and also linkedin we're pretty pretty active on linkedin as well so oh. um, i would like to hear from someone who is buying mega deals out there so we we have talked with a few but i would like to interview someone in the podcast in the near future that not selling mega deals but it's who is buying mega deals they're leading the purchasing yeah, team that be so cool. buying mega deals yeah. that would be so cool yeah mm. totally. so if if you're one of those or know someone or know someone ping us more likely ping us. yeah more likely if you know yeah. someone mm-hmm. actually so, kenny ceo of hp solatech he used to be head of purchasing yeah and he's coming to the next episode yes and he has been orchestrating a 50 million euro deal recently yeah yeah, yeah. and he's about to orchestrate a lot more because he's wonderful one of our dopamine nice dopamine levels right yes. yes. <laughs> great see okay. you guys see you guys time. next Thank time you. have a great rest of your day and stay safe bye now bye